Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Most Awesome Founder podcast. And today we have as our guest Bjorn Maronde. Bjorn, welcome to this podcast. Welcome, Dries. Nice to be here. <laughs> Great to have you. And as you might know, we always start this podcast with a, a quite a simple and straightforward question. Namely, uh, we want to give the floor to our guests to say something about their personal background. Where are you coming from? Um, so go ahead, I would say. Perfect. Yeah, I'm um, <clears throat> Bjorn. I'm 42 years old. Actually, I live in Hamburg and also grow up quite near to Hamburg. Um, originally, I studied law uh, and also did my PhD in law. Uh, but realized, uh, especially due to my best friend and later co-founder at Exploro, Simon, that uh, being an entrepreneur is much more interesting and much more vibrant than being a lawyer. And uh, at that time, I decided, okay, maybe not following a professional career in, in, in law, but but change a bit. Uh, the course had some some um, corporate uh, stations, but but then later on, already started my first companies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And actually, I saw in LinkedIn uh, that, that you also did an executive MBA, the, the, yes. the Kellogg VAU MBA. And, and as I understood it, maybe I'm wrong, but it was a bit you did the executive MBA and then you also pivoted towards this more entrepreneurial career. Did the MBA trigger that or, or am I now reading stuff into the data that, that are not there? <laughs> I, I think I was triggered already before. <clears throat> okay. But um, but I thought I was not equipped enough to, to become a founder and I thought, okay, uh, where to go to get a little bit of entrepreneurial experience and uh, therefore WHU was uh, the place to go for me. And uh -huh. um, in parallel, I already had my first company but there was only employed managing director uh, it was a spin-off okay. so to say and uh, in the end so my master's thesis at my uh, Kellogg Viaud, um executive MBA was with uh, a former colleague of you in the entrepreneurship uh, stuff and there I did my master's thesis about it was a business case actually that okay. never became reality that <laughs> business case but uh, that's how it is sometimes yeah, because you were saying, okay, I, I felt that I did not have the necessary capabilities. Can you describe a bit more what kind of capabilities you felt missing before you would take the jump into the deep water of entrepreneurship? Yeah, as, as, uh, as people say, Juris not calculates. So so I thought that, okay, getting a little bit more background in, in, in accounting and, and statistics and all those basic stuff. And uh, yeah. I really, and I'm, I'm, I'm a learner guy. So whenever I have a new topic, I try to read everything about it. And so mm. nevertheless, uh, yeah, being an emperor, you need to have some business background. Yeah. And so the, this executive MBA just helps you to build these kind of basic foundations for, for yeah, just not only starting a company, but also running a company in the end. It's like always uh, afterwards you realize that probably 90% was not needed. Uh, but, <laughs> but at least I, I think I get a lot of trust in myself and my capabilities. And uh, mm. being also already a mentioned director at that time, I could implement some of the stuff. And, and even now, sometimes I'll go back to my notes from that, that time. Okay. 
Interesting. I also read that you once tried to start a pizza vending machine startup. Yeah, actually, I, I joined it uh, later on. So it okay. was already founded by two guys, um, but they were all uh, both working in parallel. And at some point, it was too much to do. And then they asked me to, to uh, get into this journey. And it was, yeah interesting <laughs> and one 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 main lesson is uh, that i learned is uh, that it's easy to found a company but it's really difficult to to close it down so this company still exists okay it's still in the liquidation okay. phase um and uh, i think it's also good uh, that we close it uh, down quite soon but uh, it's not easy uh, to, to okay and, and and did you have other learnings up from this this failure so what did you learn from this first kind of startup experience that later on in your uh, other startups you used uh, to be more successful so it was a physical business in a way so it was this we had this huge pizza, pizza vending machines and then we uh, the pizzas were frozen and then they need to be cooked up uh, within the oven yeah. um what i realized that having logistics involved especially um, cool cooling uh, logistic is really a headache uh, when you don't mm -hmm. have the infrastructure set up properly before so that have so operational complexity can get quite messy and 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 we did the typical startup error so we had locations all over the the place and and then coordinating everything having cooling infrastructure at all places that was not really perfect and yeah. okay so it was it was a kind of logistical nightmare yes uh, also to... being dependent on your suppliers is something that i learned at that time it's not easy because when especially when you have a product that is not ready yet, but you try to build a business on it. Uh. Mm, yeah. Okay. Clear. Now, the next step, I think, was then the founding of Exporo, which I think is much more a success story. C can you explain maybe briefly uh, why you decided to start Exporo and, and what it exactly is? So, um, as, as already mentioned, uh, Simon, my best friend, we met when we were 11. Um, we were always in close connection and talked about businesses. He, at that time, has an, had an insurance company with 400 brokers. Uh, so, trying to disrupt this insurance industry, but it was still an online, uh, offline business. And, and, and we discussed mm. a lot about what we will at, or we wanted at some point found something together. And uh, by accident, I was searching for new uh, stuff. I met a guy in Munich who, were, who was already talking about this real estate investing, crowd investing for real estate stuff. And I told, uh, talked about it with Simon and we said, oh, it's really interesting. And uh, he had some infrastructure here in Hamburg about this real estate industry. And yeah, there's the there can be a long story uh, because we tried to build it together <laughs> with the Munich guy, which was a mess. Uh, uh, okay. But, but later on, we, we founded it in, in, in Hamburg uh, with, uh, yeah, actually four founders, uh, another guy from our school and, and one with a real, okay. real estate background. And it's basically from the business model point of view, it's a platform for investing. So private investors on the one side who um, try to mm -hmm. invest in, 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 in fractional or, or in 
small tickets in real estate. And on the other side, okay. we had people who were searching for capital, um, pro professional real estate developers, and they um, introduced their products, to, uh, their projects to us. We did a due diligence on it. Then we did the whole structuring of, uh, and, and, and then there we intermediated the capital. It was quite okay. successful. I think we raised a ton of capital during the last years, and it was also yeah, quite, quite an interesting story to go from zero employees to 250 uh, yeah. today it's back to 100 like always as a roller roller coaster yeah maybe one thing i, I want to briefly touch upon uh, because you said I, I did this together with simon who is was my best friend from when i was 11 years old to be honest when i teach entrepreneurship at wau uh, one recommendation i give to my students do not found a company with your best friend <laughs> because okay you you might know each other very well but you put a lot of stuff at stake because if the startup goes wrong and that's quite a likely outcome of a startup that it goes wrong you might not only have the failure of not having the startup successfully but maybe your precious relationship that you have with this person might also be contaminated by the failure of your startup. Was that something that you considered or, or, or did you mainly see the advantages of starting it with, with him? I mainly saw the advantages, honestly, and I was totally mm. inspired. And then I had a lot of trust in him and also in the um, in our working together so that we mm. have trust. Uh, but honestly, there are those times where, where, where uh, relationships are not at stake, maybe, but at risk a little bit. And then it's really uh, it's really important to have um, um, the right level so that you can also talk about the hard stuff. And and, and, and yeah. actually, I'm in that regard. I'm super happy. I joined Entrepreneurs Organization. I don't know if you know this. European uh, worldwide uh, club of entrepreneurs who meet quite regularly uh, in, in small forum style stuff. And I learned to talk about also emotions there. And Simon also joined okay. EO. So I think we okay. get a lot of um, how to talk also with the hard stuff there. And, and can you explain a bit more about how you do that? So oh, you, you're facing a difficult decision or maybe you have, have a fundamental disagreement on how to move forward so that for me it seems a very difficult thing to do with your best friend because you have this also this kind of long for me it's easier to fight with somebody that i only know yeah less or, or more superficially than when a, when a really good friend so do you have a certain approach to overcome that that issue um we don't have a uh, special approach. I would say fighting with Simon or the fighting stuff was never so uh, so difficult. I think it was when we had uh, difficult times, it was more that third parties are involved and especially uh, okay. uh, investors. So, and okay. um, but even then, I would say there's probably the best receivers just taking time outside of the business also together, especially when you really, the, our relationship was always more important than the business stuff easy to say okay. i know yeah. but in the end that's uh, that's the case and i would say uh, taking a weekend off and uh, climbing the mountains in the alps and then taking even not talking but having a good time together is that it's really it's really good okay yeah makes sense 
Okay, then let's jump a bit to today. So today you have started another company called uh, Smace. Can you explain a bit more what you're trying to accomplish with this company? What kind of pain point does it try to solve? So um, maybe maybe the, uh, I want maybe it's easier to start also with uh, my co-founder there because my co-founder okay. I, I met at Explorer. So he was my mm -hmm. first employee in tech. So I was responsible for tech and marketing. He was a programmer. And, um, and 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 then he basically became the CTO of Explorer for for quite a long time. So and uh, um, and uh, he one and a half years ago decided to to, to leave Explorer, and we always said, ah, oh, but one when we found something together, we should do it together because we already have proven that it's really that we can work together quite successfully and quite good uh, because we have an I would say. Hands-on mentality and uh, like to build stuff, find solutions. And um, in the beginning, it was not the name Smaze, but when we did, uh, talked about building something, we talked about um, having um, ESO certification processes uh, to digitalize okay. those because we had a <laughs> in a challenge to uh, to do a certification process in Explorer together, and we, we realized that there is no software that can actually. Uh, so far, there is no software to help to do this complex process. But um, we, we we started thinking about it. We already had some concepts. Actually, we also already already built an MVP, but we realized so uh, it's really too heady what we have built. So it was too much head involved and not so much. Yeah, but it was already something where collaboration was in the heart of the solution. So collaborating okay. at the interface between yeah different parties that was actually um, the foundation of also the, the the ideas before and then we realized okay we have built something nice but the use case is not there or there were already some startups uh, tackling that and we thought okay there might be other places there where this could fit in and we had two different experiences i would say that helped us a little bit it was uh, first also export related B2B relations. So in the, when we when Explorer was in the connection with the project developers, it was onboarding mm -hmm. a project. It took more than 100 days. And there was really this pain of back and forth email information sending stuff. So in these mm -hmm. e long emails with questions, and there was this in answer, re in answer reply. Uh, you can find my answers down there in other uh, other colors. And this, okay. Okay, it's really, and and uh, even though it was not my part of the business, I was I realized that it's really nobody could ever say where is the project currently, when will it, can it go live, who's where is actually the the bottleneck currently. Mm -hmm. Then another experience was also during the time of Explorer, but not so much related. It was we uh, at some point we wanted to introduce SAP uh, as a software. And it was a long project. It was anticipated actually to take only three to six months because we were building on a predefined solution uh, with an implementation partner. Uh, ultimately, it was more than a year, never got live. So the implementation okay. was never finished. And it was probably at least a million, probably when you take in mm. the opportunity cost of the project much more. It yeah. was really a bad experience when it comes to onboarding software. So coming back to the problems that we want to solve, mm -hmm. really, um, we want to um, 
uh, we see that, especially in B2B environments, email is still the operating system in many cases when you have a communication between one company, a supplier and his customer. So especially there. Yeah. And, um, and so it's really email, maybe Excel sheets or Google sheets where people need to provide information. And on the others, and, and then where do we see especially this problem when it, it's about onboarding processes? So when you have a commitment for a, a relation, but you don't have the solution implemented yet. So that's, that's where we think there's a lot of value that you can gain of improving the information and change and collaboration. Yeah. And it, and so it's it's a kind of digitalization of that onboarding process yes. with, in a kind of platform software package. Yeah. Okay, clear. Yeah. And of course, so this is now no longer your first startup. Yeah? So you, you have this huge experience with Exporo. So you are what, what we call a serial entrepreneur. How does that make a difference? So if you now look at uh, how you are setting up SMEs, are there things that you do very different from Exporo based on your experiences? Um, hopefully. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, uh, but Expo was a success. Yeah. So, and it was a, it was, yeah. it was a great time, honestly, especially the early years of founding a company that was, um, but things that I want to improve on a personal level is, uh, so Expo was really, really intense in the early years. And I, I think intense is good. But it should always mm. be at balance with you also with your normal life. Um, yeah. And the other thing is that uh, premature scaling is something that we really try to avoid. So um, finding product market fit before scaling it too much I think is super okay. important. Uh, from from what I've 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 seen and I've experienced myself. But because that's interesting because you're saying. We first want to establish product market fit, and then uh, we go for full scaling. But it's actually scaling not the indicator of product market fit. Uh, I think there are at least some early indicators that uh, should be there before. So, okay. Um, can, can you give some examples? Um, yeah, of, um, I think, um, but what I so. Examples of what I see now in our case, what I want to see mm. is that adoption of our product is there. So, and and, yeah. and, and I could imagine cases where um, we with Smays go out now, get some funding, and then heavily invest in sales rather than product yeah. development. So, yeah. um, does it mean that I would not take in, in funding now? I would say it's it's okay to take some funding, but uh, everybody should be on the same plate that uh, currently it's about um, developing a product that has high adoptions and, and only once we see those adoptions and then, uh, then go and invest heavily in sales. So also from okay. uh, uh, people that we, could, would probably currently use in sales, it's much more talking to people uh, about the problems, finding uh, the right feature sets that helps our customers and so on and so forth. And it would be easy to already at that point heavily invest. I would yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because I, I listened this weekend to a podcast with um, Andreessen from uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Yeah. And he was saying like, there are actually two ways in which you can build a startup. One is you 
initially spent a lot of time on product development and fine tuning, and you only really start scaling when we have the feeling it's it's fully ready. Uh, it's, it's a bit the Apple model, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's a full product, or you apply more like the Facebook approach. Uh, you just launch a prototype, you you scale, and you try to improve it uh, along the way, and you accept that there will be a lot of bugs in your uh, your product. If I listen to you, it might be that Exporo was more the Facebook model and that you now try to apply more the, the Apple model or is that exaggerated? Mm, uh, I think we had product market fit with Exporo in the early days, okay. but then the okay. pressure was quite high to have a second product line. And uh, we had, uh, so at that time we uh, bought our own real estate and then structured. So it was more about this cash flow of real estates to, to make it accessible mm. for everybody. And, and there we thought we already have a product market fit or we, we loved the idea so much. And, 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 and then yeah. we, there was a lot of funding and then, um, we said, okay, now we go uh, live and then not only in one market, but already at that time, three markets in parallel. And yeah. so that was definitely a little bit premature. Um, and, and, and I would try to avoid that. Overall, I can I can uh, both uh, approaches. I really like them. So I also like mm. to go live with not ready products and then really use the um, initial feedback to further develop it. And and, and and that was always something that I did with Hendrik, uh, my co-founder, because um, he is not this tech guy who doesn't talk or want to talk to the customer. He is really okay. the one who really. So so actually, we are both not product experts, but we really like product. <laughs> yes. Okay. And solutions, <laughs> of course, it's uh, even more important. Uh, yeah. Now, I was also triggered by the what you were saying. You were saying, okay, when I want to do something maybe now better or different, it's I want to get a better balance between the startup and my, my private life. And I think that's that's a very good goal. But, but is it actually realistic? Uh, sometimes, sometimes I have a feeling when I look at these founders in the WO ecosystem that yeah, if you if you decide to go all in with a startup, it's all in and your your kind of your private life it's it's very difficult to establish that that balance what is your opinion at, at the moment i i think i would be uh, at least i'm much more aware of this thing so i okay. really try to balance this a little bit more and um yeah. And, and, and can and, you give specific I, examples how you do that? Uh, because trying is nice, but but can you give me concrete kind of examples of um, how you try to establish that? Yeah, I think not working every weekend is uh, already something. So I've uh, three kids yeah. uh, who <laughs> who also want uh, time, and especially in, in with Expo, especially in the early days, I would say I would I was not so an easy father. Today it's much more important for me. So I try to spend mm -hmm. all the time with them and, uh, and also with friends and family. Um, so not having that would already alarm myself. Um, and um, I think currently it's really difficult because we don't have funding yet. And, it, and that's actually also planned. Uh, only a couple of business angels have invested. And the only two of us. So it's only Henrik and me. So I cannot yeah. even leverage myself utilizing people that are working with me. So that's uh, yeah. that's not easy. So it's really about focusing on the right stuff. And uh, especially in the early days of a startup, everything seems to be at least uh, be important. 
Yeah. But is it then also something that you have discussed with your new co-founder? Like, look, I want to do this with you, but please take into account that I also want to have a healthy family life, which, which seems a kind of yeah, yeah. trade-off. Is there is a trade-off, but I think we we have a similar um, similar idea there. So um, he okay. is uh, he likes to work hard like me, but for example, he has also a kid and he's a surfer. And on a regular <laughs> basis, he's uh, going to Lisbon and taking his uh, bus there, going off for a weekend. He's uh, available yeah. there. I don't. We don't. We. It's not about saying, oh, I'm off and not available, but at least trying to balance a little bit fun fun part of life and, and working but even though i like i love working i love building something so it's not that's uh, but it's, it's a lot about balancing yeah okay um you mentioned your age already so i'm <laughs> i don't think it's a big secret that uh, that you're in your 40s which it's it's a bit older than most of the the VAU startup guys that we typically have on our podcast um now, actually, again, in my teaching, I always explain to my students, if you look at the statistics, uh, the, the most successful founders are actually founders in their 40s, not in their 20s. Um, so maybe you actually have a much higher likelihood to uh, strike success than these young 20-year-old guys in hoodies. But nevertheless, uh, what do you actually see as the, the core advantages of creating a startup when you're already a bit older? I'm not sure if there are any advantages, but on the other side, I don't think there are also not many disadvantages. Of course, okay. I can argue about experience and, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, but overall, I would say experience can also be misleading because uh, sometimes you, th you think you already know the answer uh, and then you realize, okay, it's not the case yeah. uh, or, or you don't realize it. That's even worse. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But, but, any, but let me give me my own example. So I'm 46. So even a bit older than you. And I have to say, if I compare myself with 20 years ago, 20 years ago, when I had a, a deadline for a publication, I could work until 3 a.m. in the morning and just go, go like crazy. Today, to be honest, I no longer, <laughs> I simply physically would no longer be able to do that. So I, I try to avoid at any cost that I get these kind of stress moments where I have to work until 3 a.m. in the morning. So it shows me that maybe physically I have some limitations. At the same time, I think I have the capabilities to avoid that I get in that kind of situations where I have to work until 3 a.m. to meet certain deadlines. Do you see that kind of differences or is this just something related to me personally? So, first of all, I think from a physical point of view, I was never fitter than today. Even though I was okay. for two years in the army, mountain climber and, and, and sort of... So, I would say today I just recently had my first marathon. It was better than I expected. So physically, okay. actually, that's also <laughs> something that I learned in the first uh, founding of Exploro. Uh, I didn't do uh, I didn't do a lot of to my body uh, body, and it was really I was uh, eating okay. pizza and so on and so forth. So I think <laughs> from a physical point of view, I'm much fitter than at that time. Um, yes, uh, working long is uh, also, I realize that it's getting a little bit harder. Therefore, I try the approach to, to wake up a little bit earlier, just, but I yeah. only recently started with that. <laughs> this 5 a.m. Okay. clubs, so the book is a little bit stupid, but the idea of um, waking up early is, I think, quite good. 
And of course, Jeez. you are, I think, your expert, at least from a LinkedIn post. I think ChatGPT helps a lot to leverage your capability, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. without any employees. Uh, so. Yeah. But so you, you guys also in this startup are actively using ChatGPT in, in applications or, or you at so least much, experimenting with it? Not so much in the application yet. Uh, Hendrik is also, even though he's a techie, he's a little bit critical about something. Okay. Not about, he knows that, that it is, of course, revolutionizing a lot. But, uh, but uh, conceptually, he has at least some question marks at some points to mm. how it will ultimately really, really create something new. And if, uh, but I leverage it quite a lot because uh, when it is about uh, building a pitch deck or I don't know, um, challenging my ideas, I think it's really good to to shorten the brainstorming process. I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, and I agree. Yeah, I think we we are now incorporating it in quite some of our teaching. And what I always say to my students, I think at the moment, it's a very useful tool that you don't have to start from a blank page. Yeah. Um, so actually, I think today, nobody should ever start from a blank Word file, a blank PowerPoint or a blank Excel. Then you have just ignored the potential of uh, ChatGPT. Can it help you to make the perfect Word document, the perfect PowerPoint? No, I don't think so yet. Um, so I think at the moment, at least the productivity gains are mainly in just giving you a kind of first draft that you then can kind of fine tune. That, that seems to be what, what you're also doing then. Yeah. And I really like that because um, it, that's really where I struggle sometimes. So really having a blank page and then uh, or it was, it used to be. Uh, and, and, and today it's really, and then I start to discuss with ChatGPT and then that, ah, is it really that way or that way? So I'm not sure I'm, I'm a good prompt engineer, but at least I, I, I see results and I see iterations. So it's, uh, I really yeah. like it. Okay. Maybe one final age-related question. So um, you are participating in the VAO Accelerator, so the program where we try to assist some startups, in your case, SMACE, to accelerate, uh, to, to help you uh, making it to the next stage. And again, as I think you, you're a bit older than most of our participants, and I think even a bit older than most of the mentors and investors that we have. So th that's something I'm really wondering. So uh, we, we organize these mentor mayhem weeks in which you get exposed to a lot of mentors, a lot of investors. And as, as I always hear, these people tend to be quite critical. Uh, they, they give constructive advice, but they're also quite critical. Now, to be very honest, and let's, let's say it about myself, if I would have a mentor week where 20-year-olds start bashing my academic research, I might sometimes be a bit like, you 20-year-old guy or girl, who are you to tell me how I should do my research? Is that difficult for you or is it... Maybe that's a difference between it... academic research and uh, founding a startup. <laughs> Maybe we have two big egos. <laughs> that might be the case. No, but <laughs> honestly, of course, it, it feels a little bit weird. Eh? So uh, mm. stepping in there and uh, making myself and my idea or our idea vulnerable. But but I think it's a, it's really such an efficient way to get feedback so and to get input. Yeah. So um, having their... 80 people talking with you about the idea with a professional background of course they are maybe not 
our core users. But they have seen also uh, different use cases and having them say yes. And it helped us a lot to, 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 to be much more sharp in our message and, and, and where we want to get, even though it maybe comes doesn't come across. But in the beginning, we were not so sure about where in the sales process we are located. And okay. also um, if we should uh, be industry agnostic, which our software is. So the, the software mm -hmm. itself is industry agnostic, can be used for everything. But as soon as, as you are industry agnostic, the people are also trying, uh, asking questions and so forth. So at least focusing in the beginning on a beachhead market, which is super crystal clear, where the problem definitely exists, uh, makes totally sense for us uh, to us now and was something that is an outcome of the metamain process yeah okay because then in terms of reaching product market fit what are a bit at the moment the, the core kind of challenges and objectives that you have so um so we um we have our first version uh, which we have built in the, until easter that was it was already in the state where we could have used it with customers, but yeah. uh, but Hendrik said, I don't want to use it with customers because <laughs> um, after I won't be free to throw everything away and to be co completely free. I don't want to have any integration issues, headaches later on. So we yeah. sold it to many people, but we didn't uh, have them really use it on, 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 on real uh, cases. So now we have the second phase. Uh, and within the next two weeks, we will have finished it. And then it's really about beta testing. So having the first beta customers, so finding the right beta customers and then having them uh, also use the platform is, is something that is currently our struggle. And and also from that perspective, because we already talked about um, the software when we in the mentor main program, but then there were some critical remarks that, okay, yes, we totally get your problem that you want to solve. And you should really focus on the small uh, scale-up companies in the SaaS business that are currently really having this onboarding issue. So where you really have product market fit and now mm. onboarding becomes your bottleneck. So that's where your yeah. solution can really add a lot of value. And it's like, okay, yes. Also, yes, makes sense. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, rocket science, but but it's always good to talk to people about your idea and where where to find the right um, startups. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Then maybe uh, we always at the end have some uh, traditional questions that we want to ask our guests. Um, if you actually look back to your own career, um, what advice would you actually give to your younger self? So when you were studying law, maybe the advice would be don't study law. I don't know. <laughs> but what kind of advice would you give to yourself? Well, actually, I loved to study law. So it was really... Okay. I, but but I, I also realized that I never want to become a lawyer because... Uh, and that's also something that was proven uh, afterwards because especially in funding rounds, you talk until night and then the lawyers need to work. So that's... So they, <laughs> <laughs> that's really uh, that's really a painful job. No, it's... Um, it's uh, going out and, 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 and uh, it's really about not only thinking about it, but taking the first step. Maybe I also needed to become 42 to be uh, that convinced of myself and to uh, to really step yeah. out and, 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 and do it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because indeed, and th th again, that's sometimes 
that that we learn our students is so actually in your 40s you might be more successful in a, as an entrepreneur but actually taking the step to become an entrepreneur might be more difficult because you have what we call the golden handcuff problem mm -hmm. namely you uh, you have already made investments you bought a house you have kids that also <laughs> you need to invest in to say it like that which which might um, kind of create a level of con level of conservatism that make you decide for a more stable job than an entrepreneurial job but in your case uh, despite you have an executive mba certificate that would help you to do a corporate career you, you really want to go for the startup life i have the feeling not Yes, that's that's definitely. The case. I was in the corporate life, but but uh, and and I don't say politics everywhere in corporate life, but that was something that I really realized. So I want to be independent. I want to build something on my own. It doesn't mean that I I I know the best what's the best, but but at least I want mm. to have a couple of people with the same missions, the same purpose, that are looking into the same direction. So I think that's something that really is inspiring. So yeah. Okay, great. Then finally, um, can you give us some specific recommendations of books or podcasts that you're listening to or books that you're reading that for you are very inspiring and, and they don't have to be business related. If you get inspired by very different things, then uh, please share with us. I really love Mark Manson's The Subtile Art of Not Giving a Ship and uh, Shit. And uh, so I really love him. Uh, he's more philosophically and uh, so and I, I like his way of thinking and I get inspired by it. Uh, can, can you explain a bit more what, what he's saying? Because to be honest, I've never heard of him. Mark so. Manson? No. So, um, so the subtitle art of not giving a shift is, is really about uh, what do you really... So the basic idea is you only have a certain number of facts that you can care about in your life. And you should focus okay. on the important parts and the important stuff. Yeah. And uh, and it's uh, yeah, I think he's always taking real cases and philosophical ideas and trying to combine it and and making sense of it. So and his second book, or he has some more, but uh, was a little bit about hope and religion and and how much is it? Yeah, uh, it's anyways, it's really a good read and it's also entertaining. So um, okay. And uh, I think probably you heard a lot about the uh, people, the hard thing about the hard thing, but that's really something that, that inspired me uh, from the um, entrepreneurial point of view. Currently, I'm reading the 5 a.m. club, but I don't like the book, so it's really not good, but I like the idea. <laughs> <laughs> but so the, the 5 a.m. club means that you that you get up at 5 a.m., I yes, suppose? Yes. Yeah, but at, at, okay. yeah, I only tried that for, for a couple of days now. But uh, <laughs> but it's really amazing what you can get done between five and eight. And uh, it's really crazy. Okay. Uh, so and, yeah. it doesn't mean that it's productive in terms of business, but you have done maybe some exercises. You have done some thinking, maybe uh, read the newspaper, which I, I have an, a Zeit abo, but, but I don't read it normally. But now I yeah. find the time. But but then is the logic you you get up earlier and you go to sleep earlier I suppose also or? yeah and that's the part that I haven't managed yet <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise it's not really <laughs> yeah yeah not so sustainable yes uh, <laughs> maybe it's also okay, part of the becoming older part yeah? so you yeah. up early and don't need so much sleep anymore that's true that's true that's true <laughs> okay. 
Um, Bjorn, thanks a lot for exchanging. Um, I really liked uh, some of the insights that we shared and, and the discussion we had about like things like serial entrepreneur age, uh, because these are things that, that we also discuss with our students. And, and sometimes I think some of the insights are quite counterintuitive. It's not always what you would expect. Uh, entrepreneurship is not always the sexy 20 year old that uh, is extremely successful. I think there is hope for us as 40 years old. <laughs> <laughs> There's still hope for us to be successful. So that's always nice to, to know. Yes, thanks okay, a thanks a lot. And uh, to our audience, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And please uh, come back to us for the next episodes we will have this summer. Bye. Bye.